Welcome to Mindful Movement with Naya, a podcast about all things mind-body connection. I'm Naya Kalmels, nationally certified Pilates teacher, yoga teacher, integrative movement specialist, and owner of Mindful Movement. This podcast is meant to educate, elevate, and inspire anyone interested in feeling and moving better. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast with Naya. Today, we have Glenn Miller, one of my favorite Pilates teachers on the show. I'm super excited to share with you all of the things that I've learned from Gwen, and she has so much more to share with you as well. Gwen is a gifted Pilates teacher, not just a teacher of students, but also a teacher trainer. She's a yoga teacher, a Czech practitioner, a body worker, and I'm sure I'm leaving a few things out because she has achieved quite a lot in her life. But aside from all of her credentials, what I love about Gwen most is that she's a truly empathetic person and it shows in all of her teaching. In the teachings that I've witnessed her um, share with many people throughout Sonoma County, one of the things that's really stood out to me is how inclusive she is. And she even says herself that she comes from a very empathetic background. She is sensitive. And so she's very sensitive to the needs of all of her students that come from all over the Bay Area to learn from her. She has recently written a book, Safe Movement for All Spines. She also teaches a year-long course, which I'm very honored to be a part of, The Dynamic Spine. And she is starting to teach in more and more locations at different studios. She was recently in Las Vegas and also on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. I feel so honored that Wen is here to share with us today. On a more personal note, she also has a background in being diagnosed with PTSD, ulcerative colitis, and fibromyalgia. So I share that with you because she's given me permission to share that with you. Many of us as health and fitness practitioners come into this industry because we've found this to be so beneficial for our own bodies. And in fact, Gwen says that's part of what led her to teaching yoga and Pilates as well. And I think it's important that as you see these really seemingly healthy bodies in front of you, usually there's a deeper story of what led us to do what we do. And Gwen will share a lot of that with you in this podcast. Without further ado, thank you so much, Gwen, for taking the time to be on the show with us. Thanks, Naya. I appreciate you just inviting me. So I think it's really, we're, we just always have such great conversations and I'm looking forward to having another great conversation with you today. Thank you so much, Gwen. Tell us a little bit about your journey coming into the health and wellness world. So I never really was a voluntary exerciser and that was okay through my teens and twenties and thirties post um, having children. I discovered that I wasn't really um, taking care of my body very well. And I finally just kind of hit the wall. And the story about that is actually on my Amazon author page. And what happened is that I, because I was extremely overweight, which, you know, you mentioned the PTSD, many times people that have uh, PTSD put on weight as a way to shield our bodies from unwanted attention. Uh, and just like as a protective layer, and I think that certainly was my case. Um, and so I decided to lose weight and did so. 
the good old fashioned way by cutting calories and exercising my brains out, hired a personal trainer and decided that after I had achieved the weight loss that I was desiring at that time, that I wanted to be able to do that for other people. And my trainer in the midst of uh, training me how to exercise, because at the age of 40, I just didn't want to hurt myself. I didn't know what I was doing. And so it was really the best decision I ever made, the best $2,000 I ever spent over a year and a half. And uh, I was so delighted with the changes in my body. You know, I really felt like, oh, other people need to understand this and I need to do this for other people. But my trainer, while we were working together, she had gone down to the Czech Institute and came back as a practitioner level one, which back in those days was a 10-day grueling intensive. And she had the bravery and the courage to say, we've been doing it all wrong. And if we continue loading your frame with faulty alignment, we're only perpetuating the postural issues that you have something like that. So we embarked on a program of what was then called corrective exercise and is sometimes still called that today to correct my posture and to give me a realignment of my body. But then fast forward later on, um, just by accident, I discovered in my early forties that I had degenerative disc disease and degenerative joint disease in my thoracic spine. And so the workouts that I love to do, my PT friend told me, uh, if you keep, you know, doing like squats with a, you know, Olympic bar, you're going to wear your spine out in like 10 years. And I was like, "Mm, that's not good. And so I stopped doing the heavy weightlifting that I loved and really got depressed. And, but I went into yoga because that's not axial loading and, and, uh, really, really, really found a spiritual home in yoga. And then I accidentally happened upon Pilates and went, you know what, this is, this is the thing, all the complicated um, assessments and, and uh, corrective exercise programs that I learned as a Czech practitioner and was still implementing really uh, Joseph Pilates had codified a whole system that was easy (laughs) to use (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and so, so I delved into that. So that's how all that happened. And of course, when I was doing my teacher training, I had the good fortune uh, to be able to take classes from Elizabeth Larkham, who's a, you know, just a pioneer in Pilates and contemporary Pilates. And she was doing a lot of post rehab stuff with people who had lost limbs um, kind of, you know, the whole Grakovetsky, um spinal engine idea that our gait comes from our trunk. And so, you know, it, it's just kind of really stunning um, images from Grakovetsky that showed a man walking across the stage and it only shows him from the hips up and then the camera pans away and he doesn't have legs and he's walking on his ischial tuberosities, but you couldn't tell until the camera panned away. So, It was called, it was like the, that was the spinal engine. Okay. And so, so Elizabeth's working in this post rehab setting. And while I did not feel called to work with people that had lost limbs, I was just have been fascinated since day one with spines. 
it's like we can stub a toe or we can, you know, I've dislocated a shoulder. I mean, it's like you can have things happen and kind of work around it. But if our spinal engine is not operating on all cylinders, it's a real game changer. So that's that's how I got interested in spines. And that's I've just been a lifelong student. So I love that about you. You truly are a lifelong student. One of the things about being a student in your program is that I was actually just telling a friend about this today. You are the teacher. You really are a master of what you do. And yet you are always right in there with us as a student. And there's no, in my opinion, there's no feeling of a hierarchy. You share so much knowledge and wisdom with us, but you never make us feel like there's a a stupid question or anything that's too trivial to explore more deeply. So yes, I love that aspect of, of who you are and Thank you, Naya. love the background of working with Elizabeth Larkham as well. Yeah. You know, I, I really feel like the days of this, this learning model where we have students that are sponges and teachers that are like filling up the sponges, it's, it's way beyond old and that every student that I work with comes to the classroom, comes to the studio, every client that I work with comes in and they have a body of knowledge. And in fact, clients can be experts in their own bodies. They are experts in their own bodies. They're the ones living in them. So, I mean, I can educate, you know, but they're the ones who are giving me the feedback that guides the, uh, you know, the course of the progress. So, if if we have a collaborative learning environment that really lends itself well to not only am I able to learn from the people that I'm working with, but it enriches the course. It enriches everyone. So we always have, you know, somebody has some kind of experience that they can bring in and why not share that? I love that. Yes. And I've, I've witnessed that. Absolutely. What you're talking about on that note, you are a Pilates teacher trainer. Can you just talk a little bit about this goes kind of more to the people who don't know what it takes to become a Pilates teacher. Can you kind of walk through what the process is to becoming a comprehensively trained Pilates teacher and also finding a reputable program that really goes into, as you said, the principles that Joseph Pilates codified in this practice. Yes. And the, you know, that's a really, it's a really good question. There are so many programs and there are small studio-based programs. There are uh, educators that are developing their own curriculum based on their training and their experience um, there are large international programs, so um, large studio-based programs. I mean, there's, 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 it's, there's such a variety. Um, I think really what to look for is how many hours of instruction, how many classroom hours are required. Is there something in place, even if it's a loose framework, right? Even if it's student-driven, um, you know, is there something in place to guide the student to be able to gain the hours that are needed between classroom instruction in order to get the experience 
in their bodies, the observation, the teaching time to be able to really integrate the work and then be able to teach it to others. So I would say what not to look for would be a one-off, like a beginner level kind of one-off online and that's it kind of a program because you're not going to become a good Pilates instructor in, you know, one weekend. Okay. That being said, there are programs like Balanced Body, the one that I teach for, we have weekend modules, but there is a whole program that encompasses those weekend modules that includes the student um, teaching hours, the observation hours and the personal practice hours. Okay. So um, there are programs that are structured so that you buy into the entire curriculum at once. And then you're basically committed to that time frame, that curriculum, those teachers, that studio. I would say that if you want to do that, that's a great option. They all kind of cost about the same, really, when you look at it. Just make sure that you have taken classes in the environment from the teachers so that you know that their communication style resonates with your learning style as a student. Um, the also what a, a trend that I've seen occurring in the last in the recent years is that there are junior college-based certificate programs. So right here in Santa Rosa, we have uh, Santa Rosa Junior College that is in their first year of offering a Pilates certificate program. They purchased a whole gym full of apparatus and they are rolling it. And I'm actually on their advisory board and I'm a guest lecturer for a couple of nights and they adopted my book as, as a resource. I know I was like super, super happy. So (laughs) good job for them. They're lucky to have your book. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, so, so there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it. And then there's studio-based programs, you know, depending on who's teaching it. Um, I, I think what I would look for really is someone who's aligned with a um, an oversight body. And in the Pilates industry, we're unregulated right now. We don't have government regulations, which, you know, I'm not going to state an opinion about that. but um, it's probably, you know, a positive as long as we can really self-regulate. Um, but there is like, for example, the Pilates Method Alliance, and then there's the nationally certified Pilates teaching program where once you complete your 500 plus hours of classroom student teaching, observation, personal practice, then you go and you take their test and then you get a certification instead of a certificates of completion um, that require you to do continuing education. So if, if I mean, I think in the Pilates industry, we are some of the most overqualified <laughs> movement teachers of any industry. <laughs> okay. I so appreciate you saying that because I've been trying to help spread the word that that is the case. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So even for a, a client who might be relocating, you know, if I, I have a pretty good network, but people will ask me like, how do I find a good instructor? I'm like, 
Find an instructor that's either a, a member of a national or international oversight organization because PMA is not the only one. I apologize to the traditional or classical Pilates um, you know, uh, camp, but I don't recall the name of the um, oversight on, on that side of the, the you know, instructional spectrum. Um, but if that person does not have that prompt to, to have to renew their certification every two years, ask them what's the last course they took, you know, mm -hmm. like be, just be a little curious about like, what are they studying? Um, because that will tell you if their interest is within the realm of what your needs are. Yes. You see, so if somebody is like coming in and they're like really into sports specific, uh, you know, cross training, for example, is the teacher that they're looking to train with, are they going to, you know, uh, URSA or, you know, any of these like uh, integrated movement um, conferences or continuing ed, you know, in that vein, et cetera. Yes, that makes so much sense. And I do have people ask often, you know, I have this issue or this goal. How do I find the right practitioner? And I love what you said. It's like, first of all, figure out what that goal is. And if the person that you're working with has training to help meet that goal, having a great personality and a good fit is really important, but also the training to actually help you achieve what you want to do. Right. 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 Because we really you know, when we hire a professional to help us fine tune our own bodies, our own chassis, um, it's, it's gotta be more than a rent a friend, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. So as you're talking about the requirements to become a Pilates teacher and everything that's kind of encompassed in that, there's also the energetic output, right? Of being in this industry, whether you're teaching Pilates or yoga, or you're a body worker, or physical therapist. And I've met quite a few people who sometimes struggle with finding a balance between all that they're giving and having enough left to take care of their own health and themselves and finding balance in their personal lives. What do you do? You give, I already know you give so, so much <laughs> as one of your students. What do you do to find balance for yourself? Gosh, that's a, that's a really good question. And, you know, I actually have an answer for you this year. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I have been among the group of us that will schedule time for my own workout. And then a, the client, this is the classic, especially for a new instructor, the client, the client says, Oh, I can only see you on Tuesday at noon. And that's the time you had carved out. And so the baby instructor, a new instructor answer is going to be like, okay, you know, cause we want the business. And I'm going to tell you right now that 98% of the time, if you keep that that a commitment to yourself in your calendar and say, I'm sorry, that spot's taken, they will 100% find another spot. It's not the only spot. It's the spot they think is going to work. The universe works in mysterious ways. If you give up that time, they'll be the one who always cancels at the last minute. And then you've like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, I've lived but, this, actually. Exactly yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we all have because the universe knows what's best. And 
And when we make commitments to ourselves, we're making a commitment to the universe. And, and it's like the universe is going to, is going to very gently with humor, you know, teach us. And, uh, but what I, this year, my, um, my son, my middle son asked me to go on a backpacking trip to Point Reyes National Seashore. And, and I looked at my calendar and I had clients scheduled and I thought, you know, I'm going to do it. So I canceled the work and went on a five. I didn't know then it was five and a half miles in to the campsite. <laughs> After I found out, I was like, can, can we can with a backpack? Yeah. I was like, can we pick the one that's only 1.8 miles? And he was like, no. So, you know, I hadn't backpacked for 35 years, but, but anyway, I did it because, you know, they helped me with some of the load and, you know, I keep myself in reasonably good shape. So that was nice. I was sitting at the ocean and I was thinking like, if I only had so many years to live, like if I only had 12 more years, how would I choose to spend my time and my energy? What would my priorities be? And so I sat there and looked at the ocean and I wrote down family and developing a deeper, you know, an ongoing relationship with my adult children and my husband and my other family members. And that was first. And the second thing was my travel because I didn't have a chance to travel as a younger person. And so my goal has been to travel a big trip once a year, maybe more, but at least once. And then the third thing was, you know, my teaching, my teacher training, my continuing education, the healing work, passing along the healing work and working with my clients and helping people. Okay. And so then I sat down to, with these commitments in mind and, and looked at my calendar for 2024. And I wrote down, like I blocked off all the family time, all the birthdays, all the Christmases and the you know, the school breaks, I still have one, I have one son who's now a teacher, and I've got one son still in college. So all the school breaks and, and, and I blocked off those weekends and blocked off those weeks, so that we could have the potential of having family time. And then I went in and I blocked in my teacher training. And it was hard to fit in because now I was running out of weekends because I'd already put the personal stuff first, right? And then I scheduled in the rest of everybody and it was very difficult to do. So this is a long answer to a short question, but what I suggest is figure out what your priorities are and then actually take action on the, the thought, take action on that commitment or that visualization by putting it down on paper and map it out and see how it goes because we're in a service industry and we're helpers and we're healers. And so we will always 100% be like, oh, yes, I can help you. Believe me, when someone calls me up and they're like, I've been in pain and nobody can figure me out and, I, and I'm and i desperate, I need to see you. My first instinct is like, oh, my God, I've got this appointment at 6.30 on Tuesday and let's let's get you in there. But that's not serving me to be able to stay healthy, to be able to have longevity, to help many, many more people. Okay, so if I put my my calendar like as a physical manifestation of my intention to the universe, then I've got something I've, I've written my contract. 
So that's what I do. And that's working really well. That's that is great advice. As you're saying this, there's this thing happening in my body where it's like, oh my gosh, I could just relax into scheduling my priorities. That's right. I love I love that advice, Gwen. We often schedule our obligations. Yes. Not the things we actually really want to be doing. <laughs> That's right. And you know, the the thing, the deadline, just the 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 death line, the deadline. I don't believe I've got only 12 years left. I'm visualizing I'll be here till I'm 104 because that's when the planets will be aligned exactly when I was born. And so I just thought, you know, why not? And, (laughs) but um, when my mom died almost five years ago, she was only 17 years older than me. And that was one of the things that shifted was like, what if I only have 17 more years? Mm. So I'm kind of like marking time a little bit. Like now it's been almost five years. What if I only have 12 more years? And I'm pretty certain I don't remember any previous lives. I don't remember any previous deaths, but I am I am pretty certain that zero percent of people on their deathbed when that time comes says, gee, I wish I'd worked more. Zero <laughs> percent. <laughs> I won't be saying that. I know that. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, it just it was just something that really, I don't know, just finally gelled. So hopefully the listeners who are younger and newer in their careers, or even if they're not, you know, hopefully um, you don't have to wait until, you know, you've gone through, you know, as much life as I have to really start making those um, visualizations happen for yourself. Thank you so much for that, Gwen. There, there are so many things that pull us in different directions in this modern world. And I think a lot of that is also our own expectations of ourselves and then what we think others expect of us and not wanting to let other people down. And it feels somewhat liberating to move from your priorities and your values instead of trying to keep up with all the um, commotion around that surrounds us. Exactly. There's an awful lot of commotion. There's an awful lot of pressure. And then this thing of this instant communication expectation with text and then, oh my goodness, the social media. I mean, it's all like just a whirlwind around us. And, you know, if we can just start from our own calm, clear center, I think that we will be more helpful to everyone around us. We never know what the ripple effect is going to be for the people that we have in our families, the people that we uh, work with, those that we train. Um, It's, you, you just don't know. Most of us will never be famous. Most of us will not be Instagram influencers and that's okay. We all have an important function and role to do in this life. And when we make our priorities. I feel like we don't really need to know what that is. It'll just, it'll be revealed. Yeah. Yeah. You and I have talked about some of what you just said about the commotion around us and that we're not all going to be Instagram influencers and that that's okay. And we started kind of touching just a little bit on the nervous system and how all of these external influences impact the health of our nervous system and the term 
polyvagal theory came up a bit and there's been more exploration and I think maybe information to the general public about that in the last couple of years. Can you talk a little bit about the nervous system specifically and what polyvagal theory is and kind of how that relates to how we can maintain a healthy balance in this modern world full of commotion? Yeah, well, that's that's an area that I'm definitely fascinated by and I'm a student in that area and and I also utilize the polyvagal theory and nervous system work in my work um, and personally. So that, that was a lot of questions. So let's just look at polyvagal theory was uh, posited by Stephen Porges, and it was way back in the 90s. And so it's just now starting to really get traction, but it's been around for a long time. The vagus nerve is cranial nerve 10. It actually comes out of your brain stem. And then there's a right and left channel that moved down into the body. The right channel goes to the um, dorsal uh, portion of the vagus nerve. So it goes its longest nerve in the body. The dorsal portion portion goes down your back. It's non-myelinated, which means that it is um, actually an older artifact. And the ventral portion comes from the left side and it goes down the front of the body to the ventral part of the body. And the the dorsal uh, portion is more, there's more innervation from that going below the diaphragm and the ventral more innervation from that going above the diaphragm. So basically when we look at it's, you know, your, your feelings in your affect, which is how you relate with others from the corner of our eyes to the bottom of our face is where we have most of our expression. So when, yeah. And so that's your, um, ventral vagal. Okay. The, um, the feeling of having a gut feeling, right that's going to be more the the dorsal vagal. But then it's more than that. The vagus nerve is part of the autonomic nervous system. And that's the part of the nervous system that regulates things like our heartbeat and our digestion and our breathing. And, and thank God we don't have to like every time we need a heartbeat, go, okay, heartbeat. Okay, now let's breathe. Okay, heartbeat again. Okay, now breathe. Because we'd never do anything but that. We'd never be able to do all the wonderful things that we do with our minds and our and our hearts and our energies. So the vagus nerve, it basically acts as a break, B-R-A-K-E, like a stop. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a regulatory system as well. So when I was in um personal trainer school, right, we always thought about like the um the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems. And those were the two things. And sympathetic was your fight or flight and parasympathetic was your rest and rebuild. But it's really not that simple. That's such a simplified view. Because if you look at what that really means, we're implying that the sympathetic nervous system is kind of, if you want to go good, bad dichotomy, bad, parasympathetic, good. That's not really true because we need both. We need both as a balanced regulation of the nervous system. So if someone has a um, sympathetic nervous system that's in overdrive, 
you know, they're going to be like, it's that's your stressed out person, right? That's your person who is um, really has a, isn't, isn't well regulated in their, in their nervous system. And then you may have somebody who's completely unmotivated. Maybe their parasympathetic is too dominant. Okay. We have to have both because if we were only parasympathetic, we would just, you know, just stop, completely stop, right? So, so the, the thing about the vagus nerve and this, this polyvagal theory is that if we, for example, suffer a trauma, like a traumatic episode, and it could be anything, okay, it doesn't have to be like the worst thing you think of, we may get stuck in an upregulated nervous system where the vagus nerve break doesn't happen where it normally would have. And so we can have someone who has a heightened startle reflex, you know, or like PTSD by definition means that there's an event that's not, that's not in a timeline. It's kind of a free floating event. And so then a uh, trigger or an, an event in present time can, can um, cause those emotions to reappear, you know, inappropriately in the present moment. And the, um, the vagus nerve then is not able to regulate the person's instinctive response. Okay. So what that, how, why that, why do we care when we're teaching someone or even you know when we're when we're in relationship with anyone not necessarily a teacher student relationship um, if we can co-regulate with the person in other words if we can gosh what's that that tried and true like meet them where they are what does that even mean you know but if we can create a feeling of safety in the environment with a person, they begin to trust us. Okay. And this can, this happens in any relationship that's actually co-regulation. So we, then that person, we can empower that person to have agency and begin to self-regulate. Okay. So this is kind of what's emerging as far as you know, how do we utilize this wonderful, complex information like in studio, right? So, and a lot of that has to do, I feel like with the language choices and the body language and the teaching style that we have. So if, if I am telling you to do feet and straps and, and, and I cue you something like, so Naya, go, your, your, your legs aren't even, so make your legs even. And, you know, you're going too low, your belly's popping up. That's, that's going to be kind of like, oh, you know, I'm doing something wrong. And I've created an environment where you don't feel safe anymore. You're like, you like feel bad or wrong. Okay. You've just triggered the people pleaser in me. And now I'm worried more about you than my own body. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And if I, if I instead though, say like generally, so as we're doing our leg circles with our feet and strap, 
let's place our hands on our hip bones in front and just feel whether our pelvis is staying fairly level. Not like we want to stiffen or brace or anything like that, but let's just see if, if as we circle our legs around, we feel whether there's any extra movement going on in the pelvis. Okay. That is a guide to self-regulation. So tone of voice and language choices and and choosing to cue in a way that is inclusive to everybody can use this information. Everyone's going to place their hands on their pelvis and go, oh, I'm going to, I'm just going to feel like, where am I in space right now? And and it it brings the attention inside internally, which is really where we want to be practicing our Pilates, our yoga, our personal training, you know? So then once we bring our attention inside and we have that information, we can begin to self-regulate. Yes. That, that can be really hard for people to access. So I love that you are helping teachers learn how to help their students find that for themselves through the way in which they teach. When you are working on your own practice, is there anything that you specifically do for yourself when you kind of need to downregulate um, that you might be able to share with other people that they could use as their own practices? And I'm thinking, for example, for myself, I have some clients that they generally come in hot. <laughs> <laughs> they're living in their sympathetic nervous system and I have to energetically prepare for my work with them because um, I can go there really quickly myself. And so I really work on keeping myself grounded so that when we work together, I'm doing the best I know how to present an environment which they can really focus more inward like you're talking about. Um and I have a couple of things that I do. Is there anything that you do to help you kind of downregulate yourself that might help other people do the same? Breathe. <laughs> Always comes back to the breath. <laughs> Number well, one Pilates principle. <laughs> well, I, I have a collection of uh, Tibetan singing bowls in my studio, in my home studio, and then also in the clinic that I work in. I, I brought a couple in there. And uh, I'm not someone who has been ever really able to like sit down and just meditate because my mind is too busy. I have the monkey mind and I'm always thinking of this is, this is why the to-do list. I, I always have to write it down. So it's not in my brain, but, but um, if I need to prepare for someone that I know is going to come in with a lot of energy, first of all, meeting them where they are again, you know, maybe starting off with something that's more fast paced and then kind of slowing down the tempo. Okay. So you can, you can kind of burn some of that energy off at the beginning. But for me, um, that I, I focus on breathing. And so breathing is something that we all do all day long. But if we can intentionally breathe, like I use measured breath, which I learned in my yoga uh, practice and yoga teacher training, breathing in for four breathing out for four, adding a number, you know, maybe <laughs> I go up to six and, and just taking a moment um, just to get in touch with my own parasympathetic nervous system, my own regulation, because if I 
am not self-regulated, I cannot co-regulate with my students. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, Gwen. And I, I really appreciate being able to talk about what you do professionally on a much more personal level, everything from the teacher training to how you create balance in your life so that you can have longevity as a teacher trainer. And then also intimately, truly how we regulate our energy. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. And I know we're going to have another episode to talk more about your book, which I'm really excited about. I actually have it right here. Safe movement, Ooh, safe movement for all spines. So thank you so much for taking the time and we'll look forward to talking with you in our part two of this series with you. Thank you, Naya. It's been a pleasure as always. <laughs> thank you so much. That wraps up this episode of Mindful Movement with Naya. If you'd like to contribute to the show, we'd appreciate your support through Buy Me a Coffee. Link in show notes. If you enjoy the show, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. It takes less than a minute and it really helps us out. If you'd like more mindful movement resources, check out our website at nayapilates.com.